Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. Gwen Simon's story is in some ways sadly familiar, given cancer statistics in this country. When Gwen felt what she thought might be a lump in her left breast in 2010, it set in motion a series of decisions and scans that led to surgery. Each year in the United States, it's estimated that more than a quarter million women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Of those, more than 40,000 annually will die. But Gwen's journey through breast cancer was atypical in some ways. It featured unexpected mammogram results, a strategically timed lecture, consultations with colleagues in the physical therapy profession, and, as it turned out, a decision by Gwen that may have saved her life. Here to recount all the twists and turns are Gwen and one of the physical therapists who advised her along the way, Marisa Perdomo. Let's listen in. So, Gwen, the story we're here to talk about today started eight years ago in, in 2010 when, when you conducted a, a breast self-examination. Um, and that led to a series of decisions and actions that included some surprising turns, I think it's fair to say. So, so let's start by your taking us back to what happened that day and how events began to unspool from there uh, through a mammogram and a physician's recommendation. But first of all, maybe we should note at the outset, or you should note at the outset, that you had a pretty good reason to be diligent about self-examination, right? Yeah, I mean, I tried to do my self-exams routinely. When I when I would think about it, I will admit I wasn't great at doing them every month. But at one point, I felt like I had a lump on my left side, and I was due for my annual exam anyway. So whenever I went in and I, I told my doctor about it, they did my mammogram, and it turned out that I had a lump on the right side, interestingly enough. And and I think that that really illustrates the importance of having your regular exams by your physician, having your regular mammograms, because I had fibrocystic breasts anyway, so it was really hard to tell if it was a lump or it was just a, a fibrocystic nodule or something. So um, what I found out after having the mammogram was there was a spot they had been watching um, from past mammograms, and it had progressed on this particular mammogram. And so I went and had a biopsy, and indeed it was a ductal tumor, an invasive ductal tumor. And um, so I was at that t- time faced with the decision of what it, what am I going to do about it? You know, my physician recommended a lumpectomy and then radiation because the tumor was quite small. It was a a half a centimeter. And he said, it'll just be a blip in your radar screen. You know, you'll just go have your lumpectomy, your radiation, and you'll move on and and nothing will change. And so it was a, you know, stage one tumor at that point. So despite the fact that that was his recommendation, I was not real comfortable with that without exploring what my options were because I had a pretty strong family history of cancer. My father had prostate cancer. I had an aunt who had breast cancer. My grandmother had breast cancer. 
So, and actually, I was diagnosed with this tumor when I was uh, 46, so I was premenopause, and that alarmed me a little bit as well. So, you know, I started looking into what my options were, um, and and I did have genetic counseling. At that point in time, there was only the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genetic test, and um, I had those that test done, and it came back negative, but my geneticist said at that point, you've got such a strong family history of cancer, we just don't know. You know, the genetic tests are developing all the time, and maybe there's a, a genetic link and maybe there's not. We don't know. So, you know, I wasn't real comfortable with the having the fear of recurrence or, you know, just the whole family history in general. I think the time frame was sometime in August, September when I was diagnosed. And then in October, as I'm trying to make this decision what I'm going to do, my husband and I attended the annual conference for the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Excuse me for interrupting, but we, we should we should know here that both you and your husband are physical therapists. Yes, correct. And, uh, and I actually went back to law school after and at that point in time had started practicing health law. So um, my law practice was still all, you know, physical therapy related, so I was still very closely tied to my PT Roots and um, and we actually attended the AAOMPT conference as we did every year. We're both manual therapists by training, but our background is really in orthopedics and not so much in uh, oncology PT. And interestingly enough, this was the first conference we had been to where they actually had a breast cancer topic on the agenda. And that was how I met Marisa Perdomo. She was one of the speakers at this conference. And her topic, and I know she's going to chime in here, was on breast cancer treatment for the orthopedic physical therapist. I'm sure that wasn't the exact title of her talk, but it's close enough. So, you know, she went over a lot of the issues that breast cancer patients have that the, the traditional orthopedic physical therapist may not really be equipped to treat or may not uh, really have all of the knowledge they need. And as I sat through her lecture and I heard about some of the risk of radiation, what kinds of musculoskeletal problems radiation causes, and it really confirmed for me that I wanted to to consider having a bilateral mastectomy instead. I have a history of muscle imbalances in my shoulder. Um, my right shoulder was, the range of motion was a bit limited. I was not symptomatic. I had had some bicipital, or super, actually supraspinatus tendonitis in the past on and off, but um, I knew that my motion was a little bit limited and that I needed to be thinking about that as I was considering having radiation. And I was concerned that the radiation would limit my soft tissue mobility more and I would end up having a, a worse shoulder problem. So considering that, 
And considering that I, you know, I was old enough, I didn't need to have any more kids. I wasn't planning to have any more kids or, you know, just <laughs> my, my husband says I had a, you know, I, I treated it like a business decision that I didn't need these breasts anymore. And so, <laughs> uh, so I, you know, really started thinking long and hard about the mastectomy. And my husband, coincidentally, his mother had breast cancer. And, you know, back in the day when the mastectomies were pretty radical and the radiation was not so targeted, and she had a lot of complications from the radiation that led to her having complications in, in I believe, her lungs and caused her to have more health problems later that resulted in in, uh, the reason why she passed away. And so he was very supportive of me making the decision to have a mastectomy, and I don't think I could have done it without that support. But I was really glad that I made that decision. When I first went in to talk to my physician about it and told him that that was what I wanted to do, he said, well, you've really done your homework and um, you're an educated woman, and so if that's what you want to do, that's what we'll do. And to back up a little bit, after I heard Marissa's talk, I talked with Marissa and Chris Sabelski was the other speaker at that conference with Marissa, and um, they connected me with some other PTs who specialized in uh, oncology PT, so I really got a lot of great advice from those PTs, including whether to consider having a um, reconstructive surgery or getting implants. And uh, it was through those phone calls and their good counsel that I really decided, you know, it confirmed my decision really to have the mastectomy. And so I had told my surgeon all about that and how important the, the PT advice was to me. And, and he was very supportive. And it, as it turned out, after I had the surgery, they did the pathology test on the breast tissue and I had a second tumor. It was a lobular tumor, unlike the, the ductal tumor. The lobular tumor was invasive. It was twice as big as the ductal tumor at the time, so it was about 0.8 centimeters or close to, a, close to one centimeter. And um, it was hiding. It was not showing up on any of the past mammograms. And also it was five and a half centimeters away from the original ductal tumor that they knew about. So had I had the lumpectomy and radiation, the radiation would not have reached the area where the other lobular tumor was. And so um, my, my surgeon told me that I dodged a bullet. And basically because they would not have known about that um, second tumor until the next time I would have went in for a mammogram. And maybe it would have shown up at that time. Maybe it wouldn't have because it was not showing up previously. And so I felt very lucky that I made the right decision. And really I made it for different reasons, um, you know, but also with the good counsel of the PTs, it was the right decision for me. Um, and I'll pause there to see if Marissa has any well, uh, to add. Well, yeah, I, I do want to bring Marisa in here. Marisa, can you can you tell us a little bit about sort of what your thoughts were when Gwen approached you and uh, sort of what you counseled her uh, and why? You know, it's always difficult when you're speaking at a seminar 
and, you know, you're in a large room, there's a lot of people, and when someone asks, it's a very personal question. And because breast cancer is such a wide and varied disease and the options are wide and varied, I was very happy to be able for Chris and I to talk to her individually after the, after the lecture was over. When I talk to any person who's been diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, you're listening very carefully, and you're also trying to determine what is their emotional state. Are they fear-based questions, or are they able to be thinking logically through the process? Because my biggest fear is you never want to give a one-blanket response for every person because it's not appropriate. So, you know, we were very fortunate. Gwen's very articulate. She outlined pretty much what she just talked about. You know, this is how I was diagnosed. This is what my doctor's saying. This is my family history. I'm a little concerned about radiation, and I have some shoulder problems. So the specific advice that I did give to Gwen was, one, I wanted to, to make sure she understood radiation and where the field of radiation at that time, I think this was like, I can't even remember, 2008? 2010. 2010. So, you know, they had started to make significant advances in radiation. In other words, the radiation was getting much more targeted, much more localized, less scattered rays, less absorption into the skin. So some of the side effects that we talk about with radiation depend upon the, the field, the size of the field of radiation, and then the total dosage of radiation. So I wanted to make sure she understood that because radiating an area around a lump is very different than having to radiate the entire breast or having to radiate the axilla or having to radiate the supraclavicular fossa. So, the, so, you know, there's grades of side effects. So we just wanted to make sure she understood that. And then we also wanted to make sure, and she, obviously she was a physical therapist, her husband's a physical therapist, so emphasizing the fact that getting good manual physical therapy after surgery, whether you have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy, is very important because then we can regain scapular movement, regain the movement of the shoulder blade, the glenohumeral, the actual shoulder joint, maybe even the rib cage, the thoracic spine, because all that tends to uh, shorten and tighten when you have surgery and radiation. So getting good manual therapy to make sure you have good joint motion of the entire upper quadrant, and then follow that up with a really good strengthening and stretching program. It's not enough just to stretch the tissues that have been radiated. You actually have to gain strength of the prime movers, or in this case, like the pectoralis muscle, as well as the shoulder blade muscles. And a lot of times where people have long-term shoulder problems is because they actually did not regain the proper motor control. They didn't gain enough strength and endurance and then and then recruiting the correct muscles in the correct sequence to lift your arm above your head or to reach out to the side. So the rehab for physical therapy varies across the United States and it's going to vary if you see a therapist who works with a lot of individuals that are diagnosed with cancer or if you're just seeing a very a generalist. So some of the recovery issues that happen could be avoided if you get good rehab afterwards. And then I also advise her, you know, I always recommend to everyone, you always get a second opinion. 
if you're not at a research hospital, go get a second opinion at a research hospital, no matter what type of cancer you have, just to make sure that you're getting the latest and best information that's available. So those are some of the things Gwen and I talked about. And Gwen, did you do that then? Did you get that second opinion? I didn't get a second opinion. I mean, I, I had a consult with the oncologist. I'm trying to remember if it was, I'm sure it was before surgery, but my oncologist, their office was actually um, linked in with one of the research hospitals in Boston, so I felt mm-hmm. very comfortable with that. And my my doctor was was really up to date on evidence based medicine and was always quoting what my statistics were, my chances of reoccurrence right. and everything. So I felt very comfortable with yeah. the the um, group I was with. So you really felt like you had all the information you needed to be able right. to make an informed decision. Yes. A quick break to tell you about Choose PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national public awareness campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging healthcare providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choosept. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. Uh, Marisa, I wanted to ask you, uh, what was your reaction when Gwen told you, I assume that Gwen told you that she uh, that a second tumor ended up, mm-hmm. ended up being found? You know, I, I've had a couple of friends and I've had several patients who've had very similar experiences with that. And it's very interesting. I, I can't really make a judgment about it, but... Sometimes, you know, a woman will just say, I I have to have a mastectomy. I I don't know why, but that is what I'm comfortable with. And I don't know if it's intuition or if it's a gut feeling. I I don't really know. But it's a very interesting experience when patients talk to you or, like, when calls me or emails me and says, guess what, they found a second tumor that they didn't know I had. You know, um, I've also been on the flip side where they don't know the person has a second tumor and then they have a, they supposedly get diagnosed with the recurrence of cancer, but then they find out that no, that, you know, the first mammogram or the first round of cancer treatment missed that secondary tumor. Right. So it doesn't, ha- it doesn't happen often, but I've been working in oncology rehab for over 20 years. And, you know, when you've been around enough patients, and I'm also a cancer survivor myself, so, you know, you, you, get to have some really in-depth conversations with different people. Um, It's really interesting how that, you know, happens. And I I can't explain it. I don't really need it. You know, I don't know what advice you can offer because, you know, you can get the best advice from the best physician and you can still have, you know, a secondary undiagnosed tumor and it isn't anybody's fault. It's just sometimes our diagnostic tests just don't pick up everything. And but that's, it, it, a, that's a reality we kind of have to live with. Well, it, it gets back also to what you were saying earlier about just just really every cancer is very idiosyncratic, and that's that's why there's all the more reason to get as much information from as many people as you can. Right. I mean, I, you don't want people like doctor shopping, right? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, because that that's going right. to create uh, create you know emotional uh, difficulty. But Gwen, like she said, her physician was affiliated with a research hospital. 
So that's excellent, you know, because then you know you're getting the up-to-date, evidence-based information. But, you know, there's a lot of towns and cities that it's just a general hospital, and if they're not affiliated with a research center, you know, it might be worth going to seek out that very specific uh, opinion. I mean, I shouldn't have said as many, but what I meant really was a second opinion or the equivalent of a second opinion, which is what right. which is what Gwen got. Right, exactly. And I do recommend that just in general. Sometimes you don't hear everything, you know, when you've been given a diagnosis of cancer and you're the patient. It's a flood of information that the physicians and the nurses are giving you, rightly so. You know, they want to make, they want you to make the most and the best informed decision that you can. But there's that, you know, that emotional component and that fear takes over, and it's difficult to process all that information. It's difficult to hear all that information and then to reflect on it later. So sometimes once you've gone through that first digestion of this new diagnosis and information and you've had time to do some research and you're getting more comfortable with the terminology, you know, and then you go back and you get a second opinion or you go back to your doctor again and say, hey, I need to revisit some topics. You know, I didn't un- quite understand. Because you want to make that decision when you can be as calm as possible given that you've just been told you had cancer. You know, in some ways, I think that my PT friends that I consulted were my second opinion because I needed to hear what's, you know, what are the pros and cons of these decisions after I've had the the procedure. You know, what what's going to happen to my shoulder? How is this going to affect my ability to function? And I don't think those are things that sometimes physicians are really thinking about. Uh, those are, are not the pieces of information that they tend to give. You, you have to go to a physical therapist who has seen those patients after the fact and, and can, you know, have that experience to give that advice. You know, we as physical therapists sometimes see see people who've had, you know, shoulder dysfunctions that develop over time after the mastectomy or the radiation and, um, the, you know, long after the, the surgeon has done their work and they don't see that patient anymore. So they're not, a, you know, in the best position really to talk about the function that you um, may have to regain or that you may lose based on whatever decision you make. You know, I, I really think that that's something that perhaps um, more people should do, maybe more doctors should tell people to do, is seek out a physical therapist's advice. I was certainly glad that, that I did that, even with regard to should you have um, implants or reconstruction, because that was another consideration. Do I want my abdominals moved around? No, I like my abdominals right where they are. Thank you very much. I'm a physical therapist. I know how much I need those abdominals just to get out of bed in the morning. So I don't think a lot of times people have access to PTs to talk to them about those kind of things, and that was particularly of value to me. As a physical therapist, I I knew I needed to seek that information out and if you know if there's one piece of advice I would give anyone making these decisions that would be it to talk to a physical therapist who is a specialist in treating breast cancer patients. Let's go back to what you were saying about abdominals, just so the people who are listening to this podcast understand. You know, you ended up making the decision for uh, for implants, and the reason that you did that was because 
in order for it to be reconstructive, they would have actually had to sort of reconfigure your body in a way. So can you can you explain that from a physical therapy standpoint? Yeah, at that time, you know, this was 2010, so I don't know what the reconstruction um, um, procedures are in you know in today's world. But um, at that time, I think they were using either the rectus abdominis or the maybe the lats and um and I had actually a friend uh, when I lived in Kentucky who had had a bilateral mastectomy and and had a rectus used for both uh, for her reconstruction on both sides so they took her rectus I'm sorry I'm sorry what do you mean by a rectus what is that her her uh, her muscles in her abdomen Okay. Um, and so they took when they took the you know those muscles, then she didn't have those muscles to do what they, those muscles were put there to do. So uh, she had a difficulty even just getting out of bed in the morning. And yeah, you know, and so I you know I liked my muscles where they were. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul, isn't it? Right. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, if you take the mu- take a muscle from anywhere, then you're not going to have that muscle when you need it to do its job. Right. So, um, so I decided against doing any kind of reconstruction. And now the reconstruction procedures may be different and better now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mar- Marisa may know yeah. about that. Yeah, the issue with the reconstructive surgery is, you know, you have your uh, what we call the rectus abdominal muscle, which is the one that basically runs from your sternum almost to your pelvic bone, just straight mm-hmm. down. And then you have your diagonal uh, abdominal muscles called your internal and external obliques. So um, if you get on a – if you see a physical therapist, then they know you're going to have the what we call a tram flap using the uh, uh, rectus abdominal muscle. Then we, put you, we have you go through a series of exercises to really strengthen those – other abdominal muscles, those internal and external obliques, and then we also strengthen your back muscles, and then we make sure you have really good hip range of motion so that even though you might lose your the rectus muscle, you still have two other sets of muscles that can help you function normally. It's just that you, you have to exercise them, and sometimes that gets lost, and then people get weak, and then back pain starts to come back. So it's just... It's just um, it's just, you know, one of those things. If, if a new patient is going to have a translap, then I educate them about the importance of keeping your hip mobility and your, the strength of your trunk muscles. Now, the newer reconstructive uh, surgeries, they're called, it's like they do a, it's called like a muscle sparing translap, meaning that no muscle is used to rebuild the breast. Hmm. Maybe just, or maybe just a small amount of muscle. And then now they can do that because of, advanced surgical techniques, and they have to, like, cut the blood vessels and then reattach the blood vessels. So there's other techniques to try and conserve the muscle and use as little as possible or don't use any of the muscle, just a, just a but, summary. But, but fair to say there continue to be pros and cons to, to either method, to either doing implant or, or yeah. doing reconstruction. Yeah, it's just it's very individualized, and that's really the, the – even the reconstructive surgery, what you have to – learn about all the options and, you know, they'll, they'll pros and cons of implants, pros and cons of a tram flap where you use a muscle or the pros and cons of the uh, reconstructive surgery that primarily uses the fat tissue and not so much the muscle. 
Um, but all of those, if you do get with the physical therapist, they'll be able to put you on a really good rehab program to minimize any of the of the potential, you know, complications that could could occur. Now, Gwen, tell us a little bit about where you are now. Obviously, all, all this happened uh, several years ago. Uh, you're a very physically active person. You, you have a busy professional life. You're an active and engaged parent. Uh, do your past experiences with breast cancer limit your activities in any way now? Are, are there things you do differently? Um, has this course of events in, in your life altered your outlook in any way? Good question. That's a lot of questions, actually. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, you know, interestingly, as my husband said, I treated it more like a business transaction and really didn't think a lot about the fact that I had cancer. I just moved on and kept working after I recovered and didn't really think too much more about it, except that um, I really wasn't good about um, exercising at, uh, for the first three years probably after my surgery. Uh, and I would never say that I was depressed or anything like that after surgery, but I think my my outlook on life in a, in, a, in some ways was that um, you know I've earned my my weight gain or I've earned my right to be out of shape because I'm getting older and I had cancer and so that's that's why I'm out of shape and I'm and I've gained ten pounds or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I had gained gained weight and then at some point um, around 2014. I started trying to run again, and I I did not realize how out of shape I was until I couldn't even run a quarter of a mile without stopping to walk. And it was at that point in time that I started running religiously and trying to get back in shape until most recently this year I just finished my first Try for a Cure sprint triathlon and raised money for the main um, cancer foundation. And it was a just a fabulous experience being around all of the women who had also, many of them had also had cancer themselves or family members who had had some type of cancer who who were staying physically active or, or getting back into shape. And it, it illustrates, I think, the importance of staying healthy and exercising on a regular basis after you've had that kind of a diagnosis and um, and surgery or treatment interventions because um, you, you know it, it it helps in in um, making sure that you don't have a reoccurrence if you're eating healthy and you're exercising and taking care of yourself which is really important so I, let's see that answers at least two or three of your <laughs> I don't remember now what the, what the last one was. I, 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 think, I think that's pretty much the gist of it, really. But uh, yeah. that's probably a good segue from which to ask both of you, um, just, just kind of in closing, um, what advice you might have for, for women uh, in terms either of education before an issue arises or regarding things to take into consideration upon diagnosis of a cancer that, uh, that you feel is important, uh, in your case, Gwen, maybe important um, uh, insights that you have from what you've been through, and Marisa, just from, from, from what you know and also having been a, a cancer survivor? Uh, I would first say um, the thing that I think is most important, especially at the diagnosis stage and when you're trying to make decisions, 
is that um, you have to try really hard to put your emotions aside because you can't really um, objectively evaluate all the advice and absorb all of the things that you read if you are in fear. Um, and I think that that was, uh, I guess, if I have to give myself credit for anything, that was what I what I did best. Um, and you know, if that makes it a business business transaction, then so be it. Um, because I don't think I could have made the right decision had I been too emotional about it. Um, Do you think that's your personality, or is it because partially because you have a healthcare background and, and kind of know the no movement in the human body? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. I think to, in some respect it's an outlook on life. I mean, I, I think that um, philosophically everything happens for a reason, Like just like the fact that Marisa happened to be given the breast cancer lecture at an orthopedic conference mm-hmm. for the first time, and I happened to be there. Um, you know, I felt like that was a message to me. And so, um, you know, I've, I've just always had a positive outlook that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to work out. And so, you know, it helps having that that um, healthcare background to be able to um, know, know what to do, know to seek the right advice and to be able to objectively evaluate it. Um, but I think it, it, it has a lot to do with just whether you're a positive type of person or not as well. Right, right. Well, uh, Marisa, can you can you share some of your thoughts with us? Yes, there's uh, so many, and Glenn did a great job of articulating some of my thoughts as well. If I, I think if I'm speaking to breast cancer survivors or those who were diagnosed recently, first and foremost, be kind to yourself. I mean, we live in a society where we want to put up our hair, put on our makeup, dress all up and pretend like nothing's wrong and go out and expect ourselves to have a full-time job while we're dealing with these life-altering situations that occur. And I think the first thing is I guess we need to realize that if you're not going to take the time to take care of yourself when you've been given a diagnosis of cancer, when are you going to? You know, I want people to be very, feel very positive and validated. It's okay for me, if I can afford it, to take a little bit of time off. Let me process this with my family, this emotion with my friends. Let me have the time and space to talk to different physicians or talk to my medical health care team, seek out advice from a physical therapist, go to a support group, find out from their experiences so I can finally determine what's right for me. Um, second of all, I would, if you're going through treatment and, you know, I don't want to push exercise on everybody. I mean, there's a lot of evidence that says exercise during treatment is excellent. It's safe. It actually helps you recover uh, your endurance and your physical capacities uh, better. But you have to make decisions that are right for you at that specific point in time. And then later, you can always change your mind and make a different decision. So some people are all gung-ho. As soon as they finish their chemotherapy, they start exercising, and, you know, they, they make it their mission. I'm going to get my body back in shape. Other people are saying, you know, I just need to get my life, my day-to-day life back to normal. I need to have that normal routine. I need to have some breathing room. And then, say, maybe a year later, it's like, okay, now I have the emotional energy 
now I can focus on getting my cardiovascular endurance back and getting my strength back. And now I can get back to saying, okay, I do want to get back to playing tennis or I do want to get back in that swimming pool, whatever it is. But, you know, give yourself that space to not just physically recover but also emotionally recover and get that routine back after your cancer treatment is over. So the decisions are very individualized in that respect. I think as women, a lot of people have a hard time accepting help. You know, and if you have a church group or if you have your friends at work or if you have your social group that wants to cook some meals and help cart your children around to their to their activities or their appointments, let them help you. Give you, you know, give yourself that gift of time and space to recover no matter what phase of treatment or recovery that you're in. And then, of course, I have to always give a plug. I think without physical therapy, I probably would not be functioning with my cancer histories and surgeries. Without having a regular strength training exercise program, I would be in a lot more pain. Um, so it's very individualized and just seek out help and feel good about your decisions. So it's very individualized, but what you're, you're saying seems to be that physical therapy should be a universal. That would be my dream. <laughs> even, even, even if the doctor doesn't think you need it, and even I've had patients who say, oh, I don't need to see physical therapy, but my next-door neighbor said I should go, I should go, and they come and see me, and I'm like, okay, let's work on your movement pattern. You're not using the right muscles when you lift your arm above your head. So I don't want you to develop a rotator cuff tendinitis, or I don't want you to develop impingement syndrome, or I don't want you to develop neck pain. These are where your muscle imbalances are. Let's get them strong now so that a year from now you haven't been moving your arm through space incorrectly and you develop a problem. But people don't realize how, how deconditioned you are in general. After someone has surgery and radiation, you just generally get deconditioned. And to get some help on starting a walking program, starting a running program, starting a biking program, and just to go over the parameters and teach you how to advance your time or your resistance, those are so valuable so that you don't get frustrated when you go to the gym and you're so exhausted because you worked at too high of an intensity. You know, let a physical therapist with this specialty say, no, 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 you're only going to start off with your heart rate in this specific target heart rate range so you don't get fatigued 24 hours later. You know, we want to make it a win-win for the individual that they get their exercise started, but they don't physically crash the next day or two afterwards. You know, I'm just curious, Gwen and, and Marisa both. Uh, obviously, we brought you together here today for this podcast, but uh, do the two of you remain in contact with each other? Marisa did a little favor for me recently when I was doing my fundraising for the Try for a Cure. She uh, put on a webinar that I offered to my PTs who um, are my law practice clients, and it was all on the physical therapy treatment for breast cancer patients. And so we have kept in touch when we see each other at conferences occasionally, um, and, but, you know, reconnected more so recently. And I, I want to especially thank her for, for that. You know, the Internet is a wonderful thing. I think both as physical therapists and then Glenn with her law practice. You know, it's amazing how maybe six months from now I'll be talking to somebody and they, Gwen's name may 
may pop into my head and I may say, you know what, you're you're in the Boston area and you're asking about questions about this and Gwen may be the perfect person for you to talk to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, that That's the nice thing I think about our profession um, is that uh, when situations come up, we don't hesitate at all just to shoot somebody an email and say, hey, you know, I have a question for you or, or could you help this person out or could you do me this favor or something like that. I think it's a really nice relationship that we have in that respect. Well, uh, Gwen Simons, uh, Marisa Perdomo, thank you so much for joining us here today on Move Forward Radio. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by moveforwardpt.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at moveforwardpt.com.